Hi, and welcome to the Feng Shui Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Tisha Morris. Join me in this beautiful space where spirituality meets design. From informative Feng Shui tips to inspiring design ideas to mind-blowing cosmic concepts. It's all here. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. This is Tisha Morris, and welcome to the podcast. Today, my guest is Kathy Bird. Kathy is a residential real estate broker and mother of two children who never had aspirations of becoming a writer until her two-year-old son began sharing memories of being a baseball player in the 1920s and 30s. This led Kathy down a journey where she discovered a new world that included past life regressions, meeting Wayne Dyer, and becoming a Hay House author of a book that's soon to be a major motion picture. Kathy is the author of The Boy Who Knew Too Much, of which I highly, highly recommend. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. So I had the pleasure of, of hearing you speak at a local or the, a recent writer's conference. And so there are so many layers to your story um, that, that I want to touch on today. And there's the fascinating story of your son having past life memories of... Um, being Lou Gehrig, of which your um, book is about. And then there's also your story and your own transformation, transformation that you've been through and now being an author and completely different life on some levels. I'm sure other way, ways it's not. Um, so anyway, I want to I get going and I want to start from the beginning when your son first started making references about, about the past. Okay. Yes, it's been a very unlikely past. And it all started when my son was two years old um, and he started saying things that didn't make a lot of sense that were almost a little creepy. Um, and it, it kind of led me down this path that I could have never expected. Yeah, because you, I mean, prior to this, you like past life memories or even past life lives was something that was not a part of your world like most people's. So how long did it take for you for him to till you began to really think that this might be a past life situation right so it was already a little bit odd because he had this affinity for baseball and there was no one in our family that was a baseball person or watching baseball um but he happened to watch our kids in the neighborhood playing and just became obsessed with it and obsessed to the point where he would wear baseball clothes every day we couldn't get him out of baseball clothes high socks and long pants in the summertime cleats every day um and this was from the age of about one and a half um and then when he started to talk he would say I was a tall baseball player and we would correct him. I would say, no, you know, you will be a tall baseball player someday until one day he just got so upset and he just banged his foot on the ground and he said, no, mommy, I was tall. I was tall like daddy. And it kind of, that was the first time it actually hit me that that's what he had been trying to tell me. Um, and even at that time, I just kind of entertained it as, you know, kind of a fun little thing. Um, but as time went by, um, he he began getting more and more specific with the things he would tell us. Um, and I can give you some examples of that now, or we could save that for later. But um, really, it started around the age of, of two is when he got invited to go be in a movie with Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler saw a video of him playing baseball, and they cast him for this little baseball prodigy role. Um, and we went to uh, Boston, and we ended up at Fenway Park, which is where the Red Sox play. And he spotted this giant picture of Babe Ruth on the wall. 
and he got so upset by this photograph that we actually had to leave the stadium, but he was waving his little bat and saying, I don't like him. He was mean to me. <laughs> um, and it was just a really strange moment as a mother, like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, people are walking by and saying things like, oh, this kid's onto something because Babe Ruth was a real jerk. And then the picture <laughs> of Babe Ruth. So it was quite, it was almost like entertaining back then. Um, but then, you know, the, the things he would say, then we came back and he was three years old, just turned three. And we were in an elevator one day and he said, mommy, this elevator kind of looks like a hotel. And I said, yeah, it kind of does. And he says, when I was a tall baseball player, when I was tall like daddy, I used to stay in hotels almost every night. And, and you have to know when he said this stuff was before he ever watched television. He'd only been to two professional baseball games in his life. And I just kind of entertained him with it. And I said, oh, did you fly on airplanes? And he said, no, mostly trains. And he would say it with this very adult-like tone, very confident and sure of his answers. His answers didn't change. Um, and then I would start to research some of the things he would tell us, and it was all consistent with being a baseball player in the 1920s and 30s. So wow. um, it was a little creepy, as I said, and, and being a Christian and someone who didn't believe in reincarnation and actually felt like reincarnation was kind of like a forbidden thing, a forbidden idea to even think of that fact of my son being reincarnated. Um, I went to my pastor at my church, and the pastor kind of insinuated that he might be possessed by the spirit of a dead person, <laughs> which is really the last thing you want to hear. That's worse than the reincarnation idea, right? <laughs> right. Wow. So at that point, I looked for other explanations. Wow. So, I mean, I imagine this put you on your own spiritual journey that you were forced to open your mind beyond what your previous set of beliefs uh, were. Right. It really did. I mean, it led me down a few different paths. You know, I sometimes call it the rabbit, the rabbit hole. Um, but it, it led me to research the history of religion. And, and I found that to be very interesting because I found, you know, that scriptures were actually taken out of the Bible in 312 AD when Constantine came to power um, and the Roman Empire combined forces with the, with the church. Um, they rewrote the Bible, basically, and they took out any re references to reincarnation or rebirth. And then by like 382 AD, it was actually a crime to even speak about it. So people were being stoned to death even speaking about it. So it's actually a pretty amazing thing that through some of these mystical religions, Judaism, Christianity, the mystical side of those religions have actually preserved some of these beliefs. Um, but I think when I, when I found that out, it freed me up a bit. Um, but I'm still a really logical and scientific person. So I really um, gravitated to some of the research that's been done on children's past lives at the University of Virginia Medical School. Um, so I sought out um, people. I sought out Carol Bowman, who wrote a book called Children's Past Lives. She was actually the first person I contacted. And she was really helpful because she helped me with how to talk to him about it. She told me, you know, this is something that's very common. Thousands and thousands of children tell their parents about past life memories. It usually happens between the ages of two to six. And then around school age, many of the kids, you know, forget the memories. Some even deny that they ever said these things. Um, and I think as a parent, it was really hard for me writing the book because when it does go away, the last thing you want to do is go dig it back up. You're kind of just waiting for that day that they, you know, just become immersed in this life and no longer referring to this other life. 
Right. Mm, yes. Well, yeah, this is also fascinating. Actually, the the number one reason I wanted to have you as a guest on my podcast was from the perspective of a parent, because I know so many of my listeners well are of are, you know spiritual spiritual followers or spiritual mindset and have children, very sensitive children, and whether it's past life, you know, memories or just extra sensory. Um, where they can, you know, tap into other dimensions and so forth. It's a really difficult area to um, to to navigate and knowing how right. to go about it. And I'd love to hear any um, takeaways that you have as just being right. a parent. Of and there is a lot of crossover, like all those topics that you brought up. There's a lot of crossover, like invisible friends, you know, little kids talking about angels, talking about life before they came to life, talking about ancestors. Um, there's a lot of crossover. And ironically, my book, as you know, is published by Hay House. And I went to a writer's conference in Maui. Um, in 2015, and Wayne Dyer was speaking, and it was actually the last conference he ever did because he passed away two months later. It was the last writer's conference that he ever did. And he was up on stage, and he was talking about a book that he was writing at the time called Memories of Heaven, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It's broken down into different chapters. Some are, you know, mem- one chapter's on past life memories, one chapter's on invisible friends, you know, and on and on and on. And it was it was really peculiar that I would meet him at that exact time that he was writing that book. Um, so I kind of feel like it's my job to continue with this and to continue to um, bring light to some of these stories. And there's many stories that are even much more remarkable than our story with really, really detailed facts. I mean, Christian had some pretty remarkable things that are indisputable, but um, for example, James Leininger, who his family wrote a book called Soul Survivor many years ago, and he had he knew the names of his friends. He knew the name of his. He knew what kind of aircraft he flew on when he passed away. He knew the name of the aircraft carrier. I mean, the details in his. You know, he knew where his body was, and he ended up going back <laughs> to Japan. And you know, I mean, the whole thing was just amazing. And he's now 18 years old, and we've met him, and he's still. He struggles with it a bit, um, you know, and he still has some of those memories creeping up. Um, but it's a much more common thing than I think people realize because it's a bit of a forbidden topic, and it's also one of those things that gets passed down through folklore, through families, but it's not something that you really want to publicize, <laughs> I would say. Right. So, yeah, I mean, how how was that for you, um, you know, kind of going through this, mind-opening experience while I'm sure everyone else around you, your friends and family, are not. (laughs) Right, right. And I did have some issues where, like, I opened up to my two closest girlfriends, you know, to tell them what I was experiencing and the things that he was saying. And they were, you know, and they one of them was very religious, so she was like, Kathy, you don't want to be on the wrong side of God. You know, my other friend was like, oh, he could have gotten out anywhere. That's what little kids do. They make things up. But it's kind of like you know your own child, and you know when they're in fantasy and make-believe, and you know when they're really speaking to you, you know, in seriousness. So I knew. It's like you know in your heart what's mm-hmm. happening. And then as more and more of these details came out, and they were more and more consistent with, with you know, the actual life of Garrick. And he ended up, he ultimately did, you know, point to a picture and say, that's, that's me. So 
um, then I showed him, Carol Bowman told me to show him photos of Lou Gehrig's family once I identified that that person was Lou Gehrig. So I took pictures of the parents and showed it to him, and he was able to identify the names of the parents. Um, and there's a way that Carol has you do that that is not leading, where you're just asking questions and kind of letting it flow, and 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 then they you know, answer. And it's not unique. I mean, there's many, many children that have done the same thing. So it's not that I think my son is so special or I think he's this great baseball player and he's going to be the next Lou Gehrig. Um, it's not that at all. It's really more about this information that came through. And, and once people read the book, as you know, they walk away from it, not necessarily saying, oh, I totally believe in reincarnation now because it, it, that's not the purpose of the book. But what you really get from the book is that that kind of proof, I would say kind of indisputable proof that our soul survived death and really that love can surpass one lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason I wrote the book. And that's, you know, the reason I would put my kids in this position because it's, it, it face it, like it's a, it's a tr- slippery slope to have a book about your son possibly have being Lou Gehrig, you know, and there's plenty <laughs> of backlash that could come our way. But it's like we've really tried to focus on what's the higher purpose of this, and it's really about love, and it's really about sending this message of hope and, and inspiration to people who are struggling, you know, people who are grieving the loss of a loved one, to know that that connection is always there, to know that our souls and our bodies are two different things. Um, this information that came through, it obviously came from another dimension because it's things that Christian could have never known, I could have never known. We actually had a person who was quite close, a pastor who was quite close with Lou Gehrig's mother, um, confirm a lot of the details. There's no way we could have known about like his childhood home, things that Lou Gehrig's mother had left to his family, you know, and even he being a Methodist pastor, his interpretation, because he didn't, he doesn't believe in reincarnation. But what he said is he said, this is an example of information and knowledge that can't come from rational experience. And it comes from being in the flow of the channel of God. So he saw it as Christian channeling Lou Gehrig and me channeling Lou Gehrig's mother because they had unfinished business in another lifetime. Um, So to me, whether you believe it's reincarnation or whatever you believe it is, I think the bigger message is, is, is that our soul survived death. And that's really what we're intended to learn from the story. Yeah. And that, that message comes through loud and clear through the book and, Wow, you're, the book is so good, and there's no question. I mean, I, I'm a believer in reincarnation or the or you know the soul continuing on, as you said. So there was no belief issues that I was having ever. But even if I did, I mean, it's uh-huh. there's such a sweet and genuineness about the story that it's undeniable. And um, oh, thank you. And so, which I want to. I want to segue with that because of, of the of, with you being now a writer and this being your first book that you wrote and it reads so good. I mean, it's a good story, but the the writing is just it's it's conversational oh. and at the same time very well written at, at the same time. Thank so you. that means I'd so love much to, to me because I went through a lot of insecurities when I was writing the book. And really from day one, my whole plan was to hire a ghostwriter. Like I thought, I'm not a writer. I can't write the book. I need help. And I went, um, you know, like I went to Bali, actually. It was the first time I'd ever been away from my kids. And I went to this 30-day writer's workshop in Bali. And I wrote a chapter a day. I just kind of channeled this whole 
story um, and just let it flow. And, and what I've learned through this process is that anyone can write a book. Like if you have something, a story to tell or you have something in you that you need to get out, it will find its way out. And if you can talk, you can write. Um, and I just, I encourage people so much now to never let those words cross your mouth like, well, I'm not a writer. I'm not a real writer. Because really the only difference between a writer and someone who isn't a writer is just the writing. Like if you sit down and you start writing, it will come out. Yeah, and that's that's the second reason I wanted you on the podcast to relay that message to people because <laughs> I, I need the reminding of that a lot of times myself as a writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing I think that's really discouraging for new writers, I know when I went to the Hay House Writers Conference in Maui that Wayne spoke at, they spent a lot of the time talking about platform and saying, you know, if you want to be an author, you have to have an audience, you have to have a platform, we want to know how your social media numbers. And I thought, you know what, it's so easy to get stopped by that. So you get so wrapped up in your fears about, oh, I don't have a platform that you just don't even write, right, right. Mm-hmm. So in my case, like I didn't have a platform and I just went ahead and I wrote the book and I, you know, serendipitously won that writer's conference with Hay House um, and was able to get that book publishing deal. Um, but I ended up building my platform literally two months before my book came out. And it, I, it was a scramble. I didn't even have a website up until then. And miraculously, it went a little viral, and I did this book trailer that really helped me. Um, but I took some risks. You know, like I went and did a book trailer when people were telling me, oh, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money. But I just felt called to do that. So I feel like if you have a real purpose, like really I just focused on the purpose. My purpose is to get this message that our soul survived death out to as many people as I can. And I believe if your heart is in that, that the universe, God, will, will conspire to get the story out. And, and really the story about how the movie deal came about is just nothing short of a miracle. I mean, that's, I think you probably heard me talk about it at that conference that you were at, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear you. Uh, yeah. I'd love to uh, for folks to hear that story. Okay. So this was even before I went to the conference with Wayne Dyer. So long before I wrote the book, I think at that point I only had like a four-page synopsis of our story, and that was it. And I, I'm a realtor in Southern California, and I got a call one day from the police, the sheriff in our town, and they said, are you Kathy Bird? We need you to come to this house. We see your sign out in front. And the neighbor was here and caught people doing mess and laundry inside of this vacant house. So I said, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> and, you know, miraculously, I was there and I was able to get there in like 10 minutes. And the neighbor was there that caught the bad guys. And he got their license plate. And ultimately, they ended up going to jail. And they were big kind of drug people that were starting like a meth lab in this closet or something, which <laughs> was a little crazy. But, um, <laughs> but what happened out of that is I became friends with this neighbor, an African-American guy, um, and we just kind of created a friendship. And over time, I told him our story, and he was like, wow, this is so interesting. And he said, you know, my friend of mine right now is, is filming a movie. He's a producer, and he's filming a movie called Heaven is for Real. And I think this would be right up his alley. And I thought, ah, I don't know if he even really knows the guy, but who knows, maybe. We'll cut to a year later. Um, we found ourselves in the offices of, of this person, Devon Franklin, at Sony Pictures and telling him about our story. Um, and Devon basically said to me, get your book done and, and the movie will follow. And so I just kept focused on that. And all along, I have to tell you, my only intention in ever 
having my book become a movie was really, again, to get that message out so that as many people as possible could be touched by this message, right? So I just really feel like always keep your eye on what your deeper purpose is. Like, why are you in this? Right. And, and you're not in it to retire because I can promise you I'm still selling houses <laughs> <laughs> to make a living. So it's not some like miraculous, like, you know, oh, you're retiring after a year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's got to be purpose-driven, right? Because right. I spent, I actually spent way more on my book than, you know, like on publicity and all these things like it's really a big investment to create a book and really to promote it properly it's 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 a labor of love for sure yes absolutely Um, (laughs) definitely right so anyway so so miraculously um devon ended up going to 20th century fox and the week that my book was done in december 2016 i happened to email it to this neighbor who had caught the bad guys a couple years earlier. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I just wanted to let him know, hey, I finished my book. It's done. It's going off to the printer. And about three weeks later, or two weeks later, I got, a, I got a phone call from them saying, hey, congratulations, 20th Century Fox wants to buy your book. And I had no idea that they had even had the meeting. So it was really just very fortuitous. And, and again, like I don't take credit for any of it. And I'm, I'm sure Wayne's up there helping too because you know, he can do those things now that he's out of his body. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's such a, a testament of like when there's no resistance, when the, when the purpose is, the purpose is there with no resistance, how quickly things can manifest. Yeah, it's amazing. And the more you let go, I think the more you, the, the more you stop trying, and, and I tried in so many ways. Like I, I went to this literary agent who represents authors. He's done The Hunger Games and sold those movie rights. And he, you know, and he knew I had this potential relationship with 20th Century Fox, but he really wasn't interested, and it wasn't like a multi-picture deal. And so it's like the no's are what lead you to the yeses. And that's really what I've learned. Like just because this path, you know, I followed the breadcrumbs kind of on my path, but there were plenty of no's along the way too. And even going back to when Christian was three years old, you know, I had this idea like, oh, how cool would it be to have him throw a first pitch for the Dodgers? Like that would be so neat because he's got this great skill at a young age and it would be really fun to capture that before he turns six when all kids can play baseball, right? So, you know, and then, you know, one thing leads to another, and he ended up being able to do that first pitch. But initially, the answer was no, no, absolutely no. We never let a kid throw a first pitch. And then it was only by some very, again, fortuitous synchronicity that Clayton Kershaw, who's the pitcher for the Dodgers, happened to see Christian playing baseball, and he's like, oh, we got to let this kid throw a first pitch. And then the answer became yes. So it's, there's always going to be no's along the way. And no matter what you do in every part of it, you know, and you're going to have people read your stuff and be like, oh, it's not for me. And, but it's, it's, it's really a redirect is what it is, right? I mean, I'm sure you've been there too with your stuff. It's like you pick yourself up, you don't let it affect you too much, and you just keep focused on where you're going. Yeah, and like you said, you have to have – the purpose that you know you you had I won't say you were fortuitous in this because being spending 30 days writing a book takes a lot of a lot of grit and determination mm-hmm. but for, for folks who usually write a book over multiple months or even a year or years mm-hmm. getting out of bed every day to work on that boy you've got to have mm-hmm. a mission behind you um, I know and I'll tell you one thing like when I was in Bali I knew I only that was the first time I was away from my kids so I knew I had to just get a big chunk of it out of the way so I did write 160 pages in Bali but then when I came back 
is when I wanted to hire a ghostwriter still because I thought, okay, I've got the story out, but I need a real writer to go fix it up for me. And I tried to hire a ghostwriter and she wasn't available and she wasn't available and she wasn't available. So it like, became like, okay, I've got to write it because there's no one else to do this. So what I did then is I took Doreen Virtue, gave a great piece of advice at that same workshop back in 2015. And she basically said, you've got to learn how to say no. Because if you want to write a book and you want to get these things done, when your friends are all out of the party on Friday night, you're not going to be there. And so I just decided the year of 2016, I literally started in January, and it was my year of no, like no weddings, no baby showers, no funerals. <laughs> Nothing. Like, I mean, I really drew the line, like nothing. That means no lunches, no dinners, no. <laughs> the only time I left my house in 2016 was literally to go to baseball games. And that was usually after four in the afternoon and baseball practices. Um, and then activities for my daughter, obviously. But usually in the afternoon, like that was when I would allow myself out. And I would get up at like four or five in the morning. So it did take me nine months to actually rewrite the, mm-hmm. the big chunk that I had made in Bali. But it, it's that discipline, that daily discipline and just setting that goal. And, you know, I had it on my calendar every day. Like this week is chapters 3 through 12. This week, chapters 13 mm-hmm. through 15, you know. And I just you get through it if you can just put it into baby chunks. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I want to uh, step back just for a second, and um, I want to talk for a second about your experience with having past life sessions you talk about in your book, um, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. Right, the past life regression. Okay, so that was something I really was not comfortable with. Um, <laughs> you know, from reading my book, it was like out of my sphere of, um, you know, comfort. So I had, I went to Dr. Tucker at the University of Virginia, and he's the one who's kind of the expert um, medical researcher of children's past lives. And he came to our house one day, and that was the day when Christian had never said this to me, but Dr. Tucker started asking him, um, you know, how did you die? And Christian said, my body stopped working. And then out of the blue, he said, I picked her to be my mom, and then she got old. And, I, and we both, I was like, hmm. And then he said, well, where were you when you picked her? And he said, in the sky. And he said, where was she? And Christian said, she was being born. So he basically was saying when I was born in 1967, he from the sky chose me to be his mother. And then I got old. So I was, he was born when I was 41 years old. Um, and that he had chose me to be his mother, right? Chosen me to be his mother. So, um, that was kind of an odd thing for me because prior to this, for the last three years, two years before this, he had been insisting that I was Lou Gehrig's mother. He would point at pictures and say, you were her. And I never really paid much attention to it. I thought he was just trying to make sense of, you know, his memories mm-hmm. that he was having. Um, but the interesting thing is Dr. Tucker told me that many, many of these children who they study and document have specific memories around choosing their parents. And a lot of times it's from a place like in the sky where they're looking down. And even this James Leininger case I told you about, he actually saw his parents, he said at age of two or three, that he saw his parents at a pink hotel on the beach. And his parents had been to the Royal Hawaiian on Waikiki like six months before he was conceived. So that's kind of a fun story. Um, and then so when Dr. Tucker left our house that day, he, I said to him, you know, I love that you're so scientific and you don't believe in these, you know, hypnotic regressions and that, you know, because it just felt very scientific and logical to me. And he said, well, actually, some really 
um, you know, historically accurate things that are very difficult to explain have come out through some past life regressions. So even though we don't use that at the university, you know, it, they're kind of unexplainable. And so it kind of piqued my interest. And I went ahead and I scheduled like a week later after we saw him, I went ahead and went to a past life regression therapist. And I immediately went into this lifetime with no suggestion of Lou Gehrig's mother. Um, and that's where a lot of these things came through, that there's just no way I could have known. Um, I was speaking in a different voice. I was sitting at Yankee Stadium. I said I was drinking a cola. Like, I've never had that word come out of my mouth in my life, you know. <laughs> it was very odd. But it was, um, it was, it made me take notice. And some of that bigger messages that are in the book have come out of those regressions. Like, um, have you done a past life regression? Have you done it before? Yes, I have. Okay. So you know at the end, the people who practice like the Dolores Cannon method, at the very end they have you talk to your higher self. And so the hypnotist will ask questions of your higher self. And some of these questions can be questions that you came in with, and they can also ask their own questions. So Jerome, who's the person I did mine with, once our session was over, um, he asked me what was the purpose of, of, of Kathy and Christian coming together in this lifetime, coming back together in this lifetime. And my higher self said, for closure and to relive the good times. Mm. And to me, it was like such a simple, amazing thing because we always make life so complicated, right? Like we have to search for our life purpose. And if we don't have a life purpose, then, mm -hmm. you know, we're not as adequate as all the people that know their life purpose. And, and really it, was, it made life so simple. It was like, so, so we're up in this spirit form, and we see these physical bodies, we see people running at the beach, holding hands, eating ice creams, and we kind of go, wow, that looks fun, you know, going on a mm -hmm. safari in Africa, all these beautiful things that the planet has to offer, right, that when you're in spirit form, you can't eat an ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say we come down, we choose to be on the path, perhaps, with, like, people that we have soul connections with, um, and then we're really here to really enjoy the good times. So now when I sit at a baseball game, I'm like, wow, this is what life's all about, you know, just mm -hmm. sitting sitting with community, sitting with friends, rooting for our team, you know, connection with people, eating an ice cream cone. And it's, it makes life so simple. So these big, overwhelming things, you know, people take their lives over these things, right? Like losing a job or not feeling fulfilled or not knowing their purpose. But it's like, what if everybody woke up and said, wow, what an adventure this is, this life, Right. Right. The everydayness, the mundane is where... Yeah, um, the beauty. that cup of coffee, right? Like make it whatever it is for you, mm -hmm. you know, or for whatever, whatever makes people happy or brings them joy, helping mm -hmm. others. Having that experience of feeling, you know, feeling the feeling state of being in that past life um, and also getting clarity on those messages. I mean, mm -hmm. that had to be a real game changer, like a before and after in your life. Yeah, it was. It just changed my beliefs so drastically because I never thought of the idea of choosing parents, you know. Mm -hmm. It was just nothing that even crossed my mind, you know, or it just all felt like I'll know when I die. And I still know, like even after our experience, I still know that no one knows what happens when we die. Like no pastor, no rabbi, no scientist, not me. But we can get little glimpses and that's how we form our beliefs. And and kind of when you know, you know, and it, if it gives you peace and it and it brings more love into your life, like that's really the purpose. So I just like to share this because I kind of wish when I was searching that someone had shared a story like this with me. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, and like 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 you said, there's so many so many kids and parents with kids who I mean all kids come in super sensitive, more connected to yeah. the realm in which they came from than this one, and yeah. they have messages from from the other realms, and, um, and I think we're becoming more open on on hearing those and allowing them expression, and I yeah. think your message, your book, and your message um, just really invites that to a whole right. another demographic. Right, and I learn things every day because lucky me, like people are emailing me, sending me letters about things that their kids say, so I feel so lucky because I get to hear all these great stories, you know. <laughs> come from Christians, so ironically, you know, people think like, oh, people are close-minded, but I mean, some of the people who like my book the most were people with very strong Christian beliefs, but they still could relate to everything that's in it, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing more like more poignant, or that a kid, a, your child will stretch your ability to love more than any other. I feel like any other relationship on the planet. It's and, so true, and kind of connect you to that other dimension, right? Like you know, there's something else out there. Like when the kid comes into the world the way they do, and they look at you, it's like, you know, looking into the eyes of God. It's like looking right. into this other part of ourselves, right? And with the the paradox, or not paradox, but the um, how funny life is that his name is Christian. <laughs> I know it's funny. It's very funny. I know. <laughs> and then it's also kind of funny because Eric's mother's name was Christina. So whenever I was writing, I would transpose the A and the N at the end. Oh wow! <laughs> oh my god! Crazy coincidences about our life and the Garrick's lives, like like even down to like um, I married a German, right? So Christian's father is from the same exact province in Germany that Lou Gehrig's parents immigrated from. It's a place called Schleswig-Holstein. And it's like, there's just all these little wow. synchronicities that go so deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it gets confusing of past lives versus ancestry and how I those know. can overlap and weave and, yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's so interesting, I know. <laughs> I know, it's all fun. And I just love hearing other people's stories too. It's like, you know, it's, it's all together. And I would say even like Dr. Eben Alexander wrote the introduction for my book. Um, and, and even people who have past life um, or past life who've had near death experiences, like it's all kind of these same messages are coming through. Like Anita Morjani, I think one of her recent books was what if this is heaven on earth or something like that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what came through to me is like, earth is heaven. Like all of these wonderful, like I'm sitting here staring at these beautiful plants right now in my backyard and then like, they're so beautiful. <laughs> like, like how can, how can mm. we not appreciate the beauty that's around us? Animals, plants, nature. Yeah. We just need to take the time and the moment to do, to do that. Right. Right. So what is ahead for you and your family and Christian and he's playing baseball yeah. and you've got, got a the movie coming out, right? Right. So right now we're in the middle of all-star baseball season, which is exciting. Ten-year-old baseball. Christian's nine. Um, and then this weekend we're heading to Florida for a big baseball scouting event that he was invited to. Um, so that's just fun. And Christian's very much immersed in his current life. He doesn't, like, go out on the mound thinking that he's Lou Gehrig, which is a great <laughs> thing. <laughs> Although sometimes the other kids will say it, which is funny. <laughs> um, and he hasn't been bullied great um there was a moment in the book where the neighborhood kids kind of make fun of him and he gets really upset when he was little um but since then like he's really developed a strong sense of himself and 
you know, he's pretty secure in who he is. And, and it's been kind of lucky because he has had kind of a presence on YouTube since he was really little, like the age of two. Um, kids who we play baseball against and stuff know him from YouTube because he's got like 20 million views on YouTube. So I think that's kind of um, beautifully set him up for like, you know, any flack that can come from the movie. Um, and same for my daughter. Like she's been taking all of this great. She's never really had a problem with it or bullying or anything like that. And now they're nine and 13. Christian's almost 10. And they're going to start, 20th Century Fox is going to be filming the movie this fall. They're going to start in late September in Atlanta. Um, and so I'm guessing that the movie will be out either in the spring or the fall of 2019. I'm looking at your, uh, your I wrote down what you said, the me- your overall message for this book is our, our soul survives death. So I'm wondering if your soul will sur- survive this chapter. <laughs> I know, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Oh, I know. But, you know, and I think humor is important too, right? Like, you can't take it all so seriously. And that is kind of interesting. The movie has become a little bit funny, which is kind of funny too, which I didn't expect it would be like humorous, but it's kind of fun to throw humor in there too. Absolutely. Well, again, um, for listeners, your book, uh, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, I, it's so good. It's such, a, it's such a great read. It's actually a great summer read, like a beach read. Like it, it reads like a, like, a, like a good novel, but the juiciness of like soul in it too. So such a great book. I can't wait to see the movie. Right. It's an easy read. It's an easy read. There's also an audio book too. Ah, okay. Oh yeah. There's an audio book and there is a sale on the ebook right now for 99 cents until Uh I believe July 23rd. Oh, (laughs) on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Apple. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, for your you're so gracious with your time and such a lovely person and really just the perfect person to bring this message into the world. Um, it really is part of your purpose beyond uh, enjoying the flowers and the birds. But <laughs> I know, right, right. I have to work too. <laughs> thank you. No, and I appreciate all that you're doing. You know, like we're all in this together and and we're all, you know, trying to do our best to get these positive messages out there. So thank you for all that you do, too. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information, visit the website clutterintervention.com for upcoming events and course offerings. In the meantime, have a wonderful day.